If you turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 8, as we've been working through Zechariah, um, and, and what I would like is as we work through the passage, I'm not going to be doing one big hit. We're going to be reading through it a bit at a time as I explain things. So you're going to be going up and down, up and down between your Bibles. So please make sure that on your phones, you're, you're actually looking at the Bible, not checking out your Insta or anything like that. That'd be greatly appreciated. If you are at Zechariah chapter 8, we've been working our way through Zechariah, and, and I pray that it has been a great blessing to you and a great challenge to you as well. And what I have noticed as we have gone through this particular book is that there are these reoccurring phrases that emphasize the Father heart of God, a heart that reaches out, a heart that disciplines, a heart that admonishes, which is correction with love, and a heart that instructs. This phrase is, this is what the Lord Almighty says. It shows the heart of God because he's desiring his people to hear what he has to say. This is what the Lord Almighty says, or any sort of reiteration of it in the book of Zechariah. It might be, thus declares the Lord, or the Lord declared. But within the book of Zechariah, that is referred to 18 times in the 14 chapters. And of those 18 times, 10 are in this chapter today. And I think that's absolutely Amazing. There is something very important that he is wanting to communicate to his people because he repeats over and over, this is what I'm saying to you. This is what I want you to hear. And, and before we move into the message of hope in Zechariah chapter 9, which looks at the coming judgment for Israel's enemies, we read about how the Lord Almighty is reaching out is correcting, is disciplining, is, is admonishing, and is teaching. And so when we start off in verse 2, we read, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And in verse 2, he says, I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. The word jealousy here can also be translated as zealous, a zealous heart. It's got the idea or the theme of being passionate for. What he is saying here is that our God, who is a consuming fire, is burning with passion for the object of his desire, for the apple of his eye. And then you read that this passion, this desire is then reflected. If you look in verse 3, we read of the return of the Lord and the restoration of Jerusalem's testimony. You read in verse 3, he says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. It will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. In verses 4 and 5, we read about the repopulation of that city in a really interesting way. We say, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem. And in verse 5, we read, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Old age could be a picture or a symbol of extended peace. 
having little boys and girls playing is a picture of fruitfulness and blessing, something that's impossible for man, but something that's, especially in this context, very possible for God. In verse 6, we see this. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of the people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord? And it's not marvelous for him because he is a God who saves, in verse 7, who restores. He says, I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem and who identifies with them, in verse 8, they will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. Now, what messages of hope and comfort, what messages that points to the future and encourages the soul as this people who have become stagnant, who have become apathetic, who have become bored in their lives and in their purpose for the Lord. And he shares, this is what awaits you as you walk with me. Because amid this word given in verses 1 to 8, and amid the verses given, which we'll look at very briefly again in verses 14 to 23, there sits this amazing exhortation that I think speaks to us directly now. And it indicates, indicates their role in God's plan. And it is this exhortation that I want us to look at today. I mean, you've got verses 1 to 8 and verses 13, well, verses 14 through 23. You have these two amazing passages of what God is doing and what God will do, of how God is working and what working he's going to bring about. But in between that, in between that is this one exhortation which I want us to focus on today. The reason being is because throughout the last few weeks, we have looked at the Lord who returns to us and invites us to return to him. The Lord who reveals himself to us. The Lord who involves himself with us. And we've been looking at everything the Lord does. Well then, what about me? What is my role in the plan that he is bringing about? So let me open in prayer and let's look at the word together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're a God that reaches, a God that instructs, a God that teaches, a God that works within each of us. And, and, and while we at times may feel apathetic, while we at times may feel discouraged, while we at times may even feel disappointment in our relationships with you, I thank you that you never will and never have given up on us. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ, and that in him, as Chris shared, we will know freedom, we will know truth, we will know abundant life. I ask today as we look at your word, please speak to us, please challenge us, please stir us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we focused on the message in Zechariah 7, that the whole idea of church, the whole idea of life, the whole idea of our relationship with God is that it is not about you. Church no longer becomes church. Prayer no longer becomes prayer. Fasting is no longer fasting. Fellowship is no longer fellowship. Worship is no longer worship when it becomes about you. When we become the focus instead of the Lord. As I shared before, today's message is the challenge God's word brings before us 
when we look at the part we play in our walk with the Lord. With the exception of this main theme I shared with you, thus says the Lord Almighty, how that's mentioned 10 times in this chapter. With the exception of that phrase, there's only one other phrase mentioned twice in this chapter. And that is in verse 8 and in the second half of verse 13. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at it. In verse 8, we read this. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. 13b says this, Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. In between these two exhortations of 1 to 8 and 14 to 23, there is this exhortation, let your hands be strong. In verse 10 to the first half of verse 13, it speaks about what used to happen, what God used to do. Everyone used to turn against their neighbor. Business couldn't be done safely because the enemies roamed free. Things that God allowed, according to John Gill, a commentator, things that God allowed as a consequence of their sin. Now, I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. I don't want to be a scratched record, always repeating myself. But sin always, always has consequences. Always. You may think you may get away with something, but there is a consequence. It may be your broken fellowship with God. It may be the loss of peace. It may be the dryness within your own soul. But there is always a consequence to your sin. Always. And in this case, this is what happened with Israel in verse 10. But what, what let me start again. But what once was, according to God, no longer will be. He says that he will now deal with his people as he used to in the past. Read verses 11 to 13 with me. It says, The seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops. And the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you, and Ellis, and you will be a blessing. How exciting that this is what once was, this is what I now will be because of the love, the goodness, the forgiveness, the compassion, the grace of God. Why such dealing? Why such blessing? Why such hope? Because he is the Lord who wants what's best for his children. And that through them, God is not only glorified, but he is also made known. Now, carry on reading with me. This is the second part, okay, starting from verse 14. I'm just going to skate through this. Because you read about what he goes. He goes, now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid, he says in verse 15. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months uh, will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. 
Verse, that was in verse 19. Many people, that was in verse 19, many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him. Verses 20 In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Look at the, the blessing. Look at the abundance. Look at what they get to partake of as they now walk with God. The, the encouragement, the, the hope, the comfort that is given to them. And what I've always found amazing, and I've shared this, in Joel chapter 2, verse 27, there's prior in chapter 1 and earlier in chapter 2, God promises the children of Israel that you're going to get this, you're going to get that, you're going to be blessed, I'm going to be there, I'll be comforting you, I'll be your strength, I'll be your strong tower, I'll be your shield, I'll be your protector. And what's fascinating in Joel chapter 2, verse 27, he says... I will do this so that my people will know that I am the Lord. He says, I'm not doing this for you so others would know. I'm not doing this so the rest of the world would know. I'm doing so that you, my children, will know that I am the Lord. I remember many, many years ago when I found out my, how strong my dad really was. How strong and how fearless he was. Some would say foolish, or border on foolish. But I remember one time, and that sort of made me think, stop and think a little bit, when there was a, my dad, the, the car was indicating to drive off from the curb, and my dad was going to pull in after them. And so my dad was waiting while we're backing up traffic, and these people in the car, um, they, they, were, they were very quite rude, very quite rude to my dad and my mum. We were coming home from church as well, I remember that. And so uh, my dad, my dad got out of the car, he took his belt off, and he attacked the car. And the car just drove off. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's crazy. But see, my, like my, my dad was, was quite fearless, but my dad could handle himself. But it was just a few occasions I remember where a guy did something and my dad stopped the car, backed up the car. My mom just said, it's okay, just leave him. Just leave him. You don't have to, because he did something rude as well to my mum my and dad. Look, my family is not consisting of things that people doing rude things to us all the time. These are just a few instances. But I remember seeing go, wow, that's how strong my dad is. And, I, and the thing is, then I'd seen my dad speak and my dad was very eloquent and, and very intelligent. And, and the way he would, and I think, wow, my dad can speak. He's a great orator. He, he's, he's very strong. He's a fighter. He's, and I thought, man, my dad's quite amazing. And it was like, it wasn't until I got to maybe my late teens where I realized my dad's pretty awesome. I went from being, dad, you know nothing, to like, well, dad, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. This is essentially what God is doing here. He's showing his people, I, I'm your father. We need to understand how great and how magnificent and how good he is where he goes and does what he does and just to be in awe and to think, wow, that's my father. He's the one who loves me. He's the one who cares for me. And we may not see it all the time, but he is continually there revealing himself to, the, to us. Because with God being God, what then is the charge that he has to give to this people who are stagnant and comfortable and apathetic? He says, let your hands be strong. Let your hands be strong. But for what purpose? Well, 
if you read in the verse, it's to build when it's time to build. It is to lift when it's time to lift. It is to push when it's time to push. It is to carry when it is time to carry. It's to break down when it's time to break down. It is to wield or take things up when it is time to wield and take things up. In other words, it's about preparation and response. Everyone say preparation and response. Interestingly, your preparation will determine your response. Your preparation, now please don't, get me mis- don't misunderstand me. I am not talking in terms of salvation. Your salvation is a done deal. Your salvation is by trusting in the Lord Jesus and what he has done for you. I'm talking in terms of our privilege to serve. Our privilege to be a part of God's plan in leading souls to him. Our privilege of living a life set apart and sanctified. It's about us being prepared and ready to respond. 1 John chapter 3, not 1 John, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. What does it say? But sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, for me, if a car breaks down and needs to be pushed, no problem, I can do that, I can push something. If somebody asks me, Joe, there's a stack of chairs, can you pick that up? Yep, I can do that. I, I, Pastor John, Pastor John needed some furniture, moved, I can do that. There was like no hesitation. So yeah, but, but if somebody asked me to do a math problem, or to do church finances, or do some coding on a computer, I could say without a doubt, I would answer you with an unequivocal, no. No, I cannot do that. I will not do that, nor will I ever tell Could I do it? Probably, but hardly completely. I suppose I could prepare myself, but the level of prep will determine as to how well or even what I would do. For the people of Jerusalem who are called to build, they had to be in the state of readiness. And so if your hands are to be strong, for whatever it might be, how strong are your hands? Now, there are some things I must admit that are very hard to prepare for. You can read up on it as much as you like. You can prepare for it as much as you like, but you don't know anything about it until you get thrown into the thick of it. Case in point, marriage. Marriage, you can do all your premarital courses. You can study all the premarriage things. You can look at all the themes, all the ideas, all the principles and all the strategies. But honestly, you got to be married to find out whether it's legit or not. Would you agree with that? How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Praise God you're still married. But that's true, isn't it? Parenting. Parenting. You can read all the books. You can read all the stuff. You can pray as much as you want. You can do all this sort of stuff. Yes, but honestly, none of that plays a part until you're actually a parent looking after a soul that God has blessed you with and to sit there and think, wow, and you find out that all your theory, how much is real and how much is trash. That's the reality. What we learn here, our time spent with God, our time in the Word, our time in prayer, our time in these four walls. I tell you what, where the rubber hits the road is when you leave these four walls and go out into a world that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. That's where the rubber hits the road. 
let your hands be strong. And that's a principle that applies for us today of having strong hands, of preparation and response. And I want to look at some of these things today. For example, the scriptures in the New Testament term it as in being strong, actually even in the Old Testament as well. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, before dealing with putting on the armor of God, before dealing with getting prepared to go into battle, what does he say? He says being strong in relationship. Verse 10 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. To be strong in the Lord means to be strong in your connection with him, in your relationship with him, in your walk with him, of being with him and him being with you. Being strong in relationship. That's where we need to begin, to position ourselves to hear from him to take time to be with him, to nurture the blessing of drawing near to him. I was sick a few weeks ago, and my wife just says, look, just go and lie down, just go and lie down. And I've remembered from camp something Jono shared about being mindful. He was talking about being mindful with God, and and I've sort of taken that and applied to being mindful with people. But my wife, when I was sitting in my bed, my wife would just sit in the bedroom with me, on the bed next to me, while I was reading or while I was sleeping, whatever. And and, and God just, just touched my heart and said, look at the blessing you have with you. And it was the blessing of just being with my wife, of just being in her presence, of just appreciating that when I could speak, she could hear me. And that when I could ask for something, she'd say, no, get it yourself. But that's just that blessing. And she didn't say that. She, was, she served me hand and foot. She was, I was spoiled rotten. And I'm, honestly, I don't know why I got out of bed. Anyway. But when we look at he who sent his son to bring us near in Romans 8.32, who speaks to us continually and desires to be with us. You look at that in Zechariah 8 verse 18. And will draw near to us when we draw near to him. James 4.8. The preparation is being strong in relationship. Why? So when he speaks, we can respond. Everyone say relationship. That's what we're going to be strong in. Relationship with the Lord. Second thing we're going to be strong in, strong in grace. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That undeserved kindness that is demonstrated to me in Jesus, that acceptance of who I am with all my failings and with all my weaknesses that has been demonstrated to me by the person of Jesus, the understanding of that I am a sinner saved by grace. There is nothing special about me. As, as I've shared before, that we are saved because we are sinners in need of saving. And and Ephesians 2.8 says that we are, by grace, we are saved, but we always overlook, and that not of yourselves. It's not about you. 
You are saved by God's love because God loves you. That's it. That's it. And what's worse, you're not even that lovable. I'm not even that lovable. That's the whole idea of grace. It's easy, I've shared before, it's easy to love people when they're loving. You've you got those kids that are really good. Oh, you're so cute, I love you. Then you've got those kids that it's like, ah, rah, rah, rah. you know? And yet God loves them the same, loves you the same. That's the grace that has been manifest to us in Christ. Grace, grace, grace makes God the focus, not me. Grace makes others the focus, not me, because grace, divine grace, is not a natural part of who I am. Thus, it is only in his spirit such grace can be expressed. To understand grace means to understand clearly what grace is to you so that then you can accurately communicate that to others. So we're strong in relationship and we're strong in grace. Everyone say relationship. Everyone say grace. We are to be strong then also in love. To be strong in love. I like 1 Corinthians 16 Verses 13 and 14, it says this. It says, be on your guard. Preparation. Stand firm. Response. Be courageous. And it says this in verse 14. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. Love causes you to be on guard. To be on guard. To look for those things that would hurt those that you love. Love causes you and stirs you to stand firm. Love causes you to make a stand, to draw a line and say, you will not pass this line for the protection of those that I love. Love pushes you to be courageous, honestly. How many guys here did something really stupid because of the love of a woman? Dang, there's, there's a really aggressive head nod from my brother Danny there. It's like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some stories to hear from Danny later, okay? I think that's absolutely amazing. Doing everything in love means being driven or drawn by the heart of God who is love, 1 John chapter 4, 8 says. In a world that is growing ever increasingly focused on self-love or self-appeasement or self-promotion, doing everything in love is revealed in the person of Jesus who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility valued others above himself, not looking to his own interests, but to our interests, specifically our salvation. So in our relationships with one another, we can have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 2, fat paraphrase. But we're to be strong in relationships, strong in grace, strong in love, and when I look at those, those, those three things, they, they are definitely relational. They're not things that you can work up. They are things that are growing. They're things that are growing. They're things that are nurtured. You can't force things like that as much as you can force a plant to grow. As I shared a few weeks ago when I looked at Sister Helen and her garden, how she provided the optimum conditions for her garden to grow, that's what we are to do. We are to provide, I'm talking too fast, provide the optimum conditions for relationship, for grace, for love to grow. And that starts by crying out to God and asking him for that heart. Help me, Lord, to love. 
Help me to nurture my, my relationship with you. Help me, Lord, to grow in grace. Please help me. Now know this. If you ask this, don't expect it to be easy. Because I know God will put those people that, that need grace, those, I, I can't remember who said it, those grace growers in your life. My sister Ellie, yes. She, she, wears, that, she wears that badge with honor. I'm, I'm, I'm Joe's grace grower, yeah. If you only knew, if you only knew, okay. But then there's these other aspects as well, these other aspects. There's, there's that stuff that's growing, and then there are these steps that we can do as well. For example, we are to be strong in the word, to be strong in his promises. You see, the word of God is what? It's quick and powerful. It can divide the soul and spirit, can divide the bones and marrow. It can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart, according to Hebrews 4.12. And we are told that we are to become proficient in wielding this. And I look at the skills that we have in this building. I look at the skills of people who can, whether they wield a keyboard, whether they wield a pen, whether they wield a math problem, whatever it might be, but they have prepared themselves to wield such things so that they can perform their task to the maximum ability to bring their business, their job, whatever it may do, the maximum of benefit. Our God has given us the sword of the Spirit to wield, to wield. Nathaniel has all of these swords. I forgot to bring one today. He has all these swords which he left at our home. And it's really interesting. They're, they're, a lot of them are display swords. For my 50th birthday, my son bought me an axe. Uh, it's a very nice axe, I, I have to admit. It is a very nice axe. It's a, it's a Nordic axe. Um, when I first got it, I would spend 10 minutes a day just practicing in the garage, swinging an axe. It was a lot of fun. And it's actually very sharp. It's actually very sharp. Um, now, the reason why I tell you this is because I'm not going to go cut down a tree. I'm not going to go outside and, and start just cutting down people. If someone broke in, I wouldn't grab my axe. I wouldn't grab my axe at all because that's, that's dangerous. You know? But... I look at that and think a lot of us have Bibles within our homes that are like my son's sword and my, son and my axe. My axe just hangs on a wall and it looks good. My son's swords, they sit in a little tub in the garage and they sit there and they don't even look good. They're just gathering dust. It's a really interesting picture of what our Bibles look like, isn't it? This sword of the Spirit that can discern thoughts and intents that can divide bones and marrow, that can separate the soul and spirit. They're like my axe. They sit on the shelf and look good and collect dust, but are not used for anything practical. That's why we need to start being more proficient. And remember, like this, this, yes, it is a sword. This is where you have the opportunity to hear and know the very heart and mind and desires of God for you. Right here. And it's just sad that a lot of us leave our swords in their hilts, in their scabbards. We never actually take them out. We never draw them out. So we need to be aware of that, that we become proficient in wielding the sword of the Spirit, which means then at the very least we should know it. And Haggai chapter 2 verse 5, which is appropriate because he's a contemporary of Zechariah, we read this. But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. 
Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Why? For I am with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. What I like about that is because he is telling his people, I'm there with you. That's a promise that is made. I was there when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit's with you even now, so don't be afraid. The confidence for the people and the dispelling of their fear was not only knowing the promises, but knowing the promise keeper. For a promise is only ever as good as the one who makes it. And in that knowledge, being strong in these being strong in the promises and being strong in God's word, we are to be strong in these final two things that Tozer referred to as the two sides of the same coin. Obedience and faith. Obedience, be very strong in Joshua 23 verse 6. Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law. Of, uh, in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And faith. I remain confident of this. I will see goodness, sorry, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 27 verses 13 and 14. You see, obeying the word, believing the word, accepting the word for what it is comes from a direct result of faith. See, faith is referred to in Hebrews 11.1 1 as what? The evidence, or the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, uh, which is a fancy way. I like it. This I, faith is the action or the conduct or committing to what you believe. If you believe something, you commit to it. That's faith. If you understand it to be true, if you know it to be true, then you'll commit to it. I obey God's word and desire to be strong in that obedience because by faith. God's word can be trusted because it comes from him who cannot lie. So, I share these things with you about being strong in relationship, being strong in grace, being strong in love, being strong in the word and his promises, being strong in obedience and faith. I share these things with you because the Lord has made them available for us. They're the means by which we can let our hands be strong. It's a means by, whenever I played sport, whenever I did anything, it's, it's the means of being, wanting to be in the game. Do you want to be in the game? Do you want to be in the game? It's one of the worst things ever as a person. Anyone who's played sport and loves playing sport, it's really hard to stand on the sidelines and watch. You want to be in the game. And so you do things to be in the game. I, I remember when Adam Saeed and all the guys played touch footy Cass and everyone, the one where Alyssa got run over that time, when they had a touch team going, and I remember I went to go watch them. So me and, and, and my wife and all the kids, we went to go watch them play, and it was really fun to watch. But I was biting into the bit. I was chomping. I was like, I want to run. I want to run. Can I run? No. Am I any good? No. But I wanted to play. A lot of us as Christians are very content in staying on the sidelines. But the reason why we're content on staying on the sidelines is because we haven't taken the time to prepare so that we can respond. It means this, that when God says to me, Joe, get up and go, I'm prepared to get up and go. 
When he says, go and share, I'm prepared to go out and share. When he says to me, shine, I will do so brightly. When he says, love, I'll do so wholeheartedly. When he says, go, I will do so willingly. And when he says, stay and share, I will do so eagerly. In a nutshell, letting your hands be strong is about us saying, when he says, build, we say, yes, Lord, let's do it. But that falls on you. I can't make you read your Bible. I can't guilt you into that. I can't make you share with somebody else. I can't make you live holy. I can't make you be a better husband or make your children any better behaved than what they already are. I can't make you do anything. No. I can pray for you. I can share with you biblical truth. But it is the Lord who is reaching out to you as we've been learning this week or this, these past few weeks. And him reaching out to you, him declaring to you, him revealing himself to you, him drawing yourself to him so that you will experience the change, not because of me, but because of him. And in that he says then, let your hands be strong. Be prepared so that you can respond the way he wants for his glory. That's the challenge that we leave with today. And I pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged with that. So if we'd just like to be upstanding, I'll close in a word of prayer. And then we'll enjoy some time of fellowship this afternoon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our precious God, we are humbled that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We are so thankful for the grace that has been bestowed upon us and that we can call you Abba, Father. And that you have filled us with your spirit, that in your son you have made us new and that we have been the recipients of a manner of love that defies human explanation. I pray for each heart here this morning that we will have our hands strong, that we will prepare our lives as a sacrifice, an offering that is pleasing in your sight. I pray for you to stir within our hearts a, a longing and a passion and a desire for things that cannot be quenched by this world, but only by yourself. And I ask that you'll stir that within each of us. We ask you to dismiss us now, and that as we leave this place, we will be a people that would shine as a light, that would be receptive to your voice and that would be sensitive to your spirit. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.